Uncovering History, a podcast of the OI. Hi, I'm Steve Townsend. I'm your host for a new series of talks at the Oriental Institute. I'm your tour guide on a journey through history with the faculty and staff of the OI. I come to the Oriental Institute from a background in game design and uh, game writing for Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games. And uh, now I edit ancient history at the OI. I'm here today with Tasha Tasha, how do you pronounce your last name? Well, that's a good question, actually. Um, in the United States, we pronounce it Vorderstrass, but technically it really should be Vorderstrasse. I answer to all. Excellent. Tasha is a research associate and runs the continuing education program at the OI. So I was waiting for a game that I had kickstarted called Mari Nilstrom Empires by Serge Legette, and I realized I was going to have to wait an entire year before I played this game. And I started reading ancient history to find out about this game I was going to get, and then I found out that I knew almost nothing about ancient history. And the book I was reading was Susan Wise Bauer's History of the Ancient World. I was enthralled by the stories. I became interested in this one name that popped up, and a long line of these Assyrian kings, there was this queen, Samuramat? We know virtually nothing about her. In fact, we don't know a lot about a lot of the uh, Neo-Assyrian queens because that wasn't of interest to the Neo-Assyrian writers. They didn't care who her parents were, where she came from. And this is true with all the Neo-Assyrian queens. We actually only know of one and her parentage. But otherwise, all they were concerned about was who she was married to. So which king was she married to? Uh, who was she the mother of? So she was the mother of a king. And of course, what daughter-in-law of what king she was. So there isn't, when we start trying to talk about these people, we just don't know that much uh, about them. So there's no evidence that she ever ruled. How do we know anything about her at all or that she even existed? People associated the queen, the Assyrian queen Semiramis from the classical Greek sources with this uh, Samuramat, uh, we actually only have her from a handful of inscriptions. So she was married to Shamshi Adad V, who reigned from 818 to 811 BCE, and we have one uh, inscription on a small stone, which is known as a uh, eye bead. Uh, which mentions her being his queen. And then the other four inscriptions we have all come from the reign of her son, Adad-Narari III, who ruled from 810 to 783 uh, BC. And it is generally assumed that Adad-Narari III was actually uh, a minor and that she was acting as regent uh, for him. So we have her in a handful of inscriptions, the most important of which actually indicates that she actually went into battle with her son and they crossed the Euphrates, which is a very unusual thing for neo-Assyrian queens to do. It's sort of unprecedented, actually. It's very difficult when we're trying to figure out, you know, what this woman actually did, because there's four inscriptions, two of which are the same. I, I got an audiobook of Herodotus histories, which I listen to when I jog, because there's really, you know, that it kind of gets you through your miles. You think, well, what's going to happen next in ancient history? I heard him talk somewhere in the middle of this about Semiramis. She captured the imagination of these later Greeks, kind of the way that maybe she had, uh, captured my attention. What did the Greeks say about this Semiramis? What, what's the story there? Why do you think they were interested? 
I think really, you know, obviously people like Herodotus uh, and uh, later writers are really there to entertain, kind of like now. They weren't interested in writing dry histories. I mean, having read Herodotus, I'm sure you can attest to that. Um, so it really was to entertain the readers. And obviously he's aiming at a Greek audience, right? So this is not a Mesopotamian audience that he's interested in reaching. He and his and later writers, they were trying to sort of describe how exotic are the non-Greeks. So let's tell all these exciting, potentially slightly scandalous stories about various, you know, individuals. What's interesting though with him is that Herodotus is not surprisingly, a bit confused. So he mentions Semiramis, but then he goes off on another queen in a lot more detail, and that's Nitocris. Who, who's Nitocris? Well, there's a reason that you haven't heard of Nitocris. Uh, first of all, there is no Nitocris. Um, I mean, there is, but not in Mesopotamia. Nitocris is actually the daughter of uh, Semeticus I of Egypt from uh, Dynasty 26 or the Sayite period. So where he got this idea that there was a Nitocris in Mesopotamia is not entirely clear. Um, but what he does talk about is how, you know, Nitocris does all these, you know, building projects and all these kinds of things. So he goes on and on at some length about her. And it's clearly she who he finds the more interesting of the two. So he's not actually that interested in Semiramis. What then happens, and this is really where you get the start of the stories, is Diodorus Siculus, you know, later writer, and he is busy quoting from Setius of Canidus's Lost Persica. This is a source that a lot of classical authors tap into. We don't have the original, but we have extensive quotations. And Diodorus Siculus apparently gets confused between Semiramis and this potentially non-existent Nitocris and conflates them. And suddenly Semiramis becomes this incredibly powerful Assyrian queen who is building monuments, who's fighting battles after her husband uh, Ninus who's, again, a totally non-existent person, dies, all of this kind of thing. So suddenly you get this, if you will, Semiramis, who seems to be a conflation of two people. The big question was, of course, where in the world did this Nitocris come from? And the general idea seems to be that Nitocris was actually the wife of, or one of the wives, of King Sennacherib and the mother of King uh, Esarhaddon. So this is somebody who would have probably married Sennacherib when he was crown prince around 720 BC or so. And then she continues to be uh, active into the 660s. So for quite a long period of time into the reign of her grandson. This particular queen's name is Nakia or uh, Zakutu. Uh, hence, uh, the idea that Nakia is Nitocris, so that potentially Herodotus heard someone talking about this queen Nakia and, you know, tried to make it sound like something he was familiar with. And then he said, okay, so this must be Nitocris. Her name is West Semitic, so not Assyrian, uh, Nakia is, um, but there's no evidence that she was that. Again, we don't know who her parents were. We know she had a sister, but that's all we really know about her. What's interesting is sort of in contrast to uh, Samuramat, who we don't know that much about, who we just have in these four inscriptions that, that I was mentioning, this one bead, we actually know quite a bit more about Nakia. She was very much involved in the reign of her son, uh, Esarhaddon, when he came to the throne. And she actually built a palace uh, when he was king. She seems to have been involved in dedicating things to restoring Borsippa. And of course, her son Esarhaddon was very much involved in restoring Babylon. 
So there's some idea she might have been Babylonian, but again, we don't know that. And the interesting thing is when her son died, she actually imposes a loyalty oath on uh, people to swear loyalty to her grandson, uh, Ashurbanipal, which is incredibly unusual. I mean, this indicates how important she must have been because, you know, queens don't do that. Mm -hmm. There's some idea she could have been uh, involved in control of Babylon, although that's disputed. Um, but in any case, it's very clear that her son, Esarhaddon, really promoted her to the point where he wanted to essentially turn her into his equal. This is so cool. I feel like I'm I'm learning something today. I uh, I've been poking around in the in the vaults at the Oriental Institute, arranging some some books and uh, pulling some books from the stock. And I this brings to mind I saw a book that is about the Queen's tombs at Nimrud. Does this have uh, anything to do with what we're talking about? In the sense that we don't have a lot of information about Neo Assyrian queens. Um, and what's very interesting is that at Nimrud, in, they did find uh, in the 80s and the early 90s, they found a bunch of queens' tombs when they were doing uh, excavations there, Iraqi State Board of Antiquities and Heritage. So the Iraqis were digging there uh, and found all these incredible tombs. And what's interesting, of course, is, is that this then gives us information about these queens that we didn't have before and gives us a lot more information about the queens themselves, uh, who they were, uh, in one case, who the father of one of the queens was. That's uh, Mulisu Mukan Nishat Ninua. Uh, we actually know who her father, <laughs> that her fa who her father was um, and his title, which is something that we don't have otherwise. So yeah, the Oriental Institute published a book in 2016, which is really the most complete accounting of this, uh, these tombs and is now allowing scholars to do further work and sort of analyzing them and things like looking at the costume of the queens and, you know, these sorts of various things. So we've been involved in sort of helping us better understand uh, Neo-Assyrian queens and sort of their role in general. So it sounds like the Greeks were real great historical fiction writers. Why was it that Samaramat or Samiramis became so famous when we don't really know anything that she did or whether she did anything at all? In part, this seems to be because of the conflation of the two queens together, this uh, Samaramat and potentially Nakia Natakris under Diodorus Siculus. And also there's a desire to really, and we see this over and over again, in later accountings of when people are writing about the past, you want to link the past to famous people. You want to link monuments to people that you've heard of. So whether that's Alexander the Great or Cleopatra the Seventh or other people, there's really a desire to do that. And so I think really Semiramis became this really important figure in classical literature and this sort of became this, it reinforced itself, if you will, so that people would be in Mesopotamia and they would see monuments and they would think, who did that? And it's, oh, it's Semiramis. She sort of takes on this life beyond the historical figure. I mean, quite clearly, because we know nothing about the historical figure. And we don't actually know that much about Nakia either. And certainly most of the things that are attributed to the legendary Natakris or the legendary Semiramis are things that other people did. You know, these are things that other, that Assyrian kings did. There's a history and there's a story, and these are perhaps very different things. Yeah, I mean, one of the difficulties, of course, is because we have limited information about the uh, historical Samu Ramat, is that she could have done some of these things, right? This could be a genuine reflection of the reality, but 
We don't know. Clearly, she was an important person. Queens just don't lead people into battle. This just doesn't happen. Okay, she's with her son, but still. And I think, too, the other thing to keep in mind is that these unique discoveries, like the Queen's tombs, can completely alter what we know. And when you think about a person who's based on four inscriptions and an inscription on a bead, you find a new inscription and suddenly it completely alters what we know about her. So, you know, in the future, we may be able to talk more. I look forward to it. Thanks so much, Tasha, for sharing your knowledge. Uh, Please join us next time when we discuss the Scythians and the Dothraki in our OI Game of Thrones continuing series. You love a good story. At the OI, we have one of the best. Become a member and join the conversation. For more information, visit oi.uchicago.edu slash member.